Welcome to the Game Changers podcast. We are your hosts, Associate Professor of Education and Enterprise, Philip Cummins. And prominent educational thought leader, Adriana Duprada. I'm really, really excited that at the end of our fourth series of Game Changers, we're in a position to offer some thoughts about 2020, the lessons of 2020, the way forward for 2021, the whole notion of learning in practice. I'm really excited. I can't wait. Let's go. Well, Phil, it is wonderful to be with you again. Uh, how is the Democratic Republic of Fitzroy treating you? Look, I'm really excited because spring in Fitzroy means that the quinoa trees start blossoming tofu and little jugs of soy latte and almond milk. And, you know, you can just walk around everywhere with your fixie, with your, your Melbourne uniform of black on black on black on black, and you can just mm-hmm. dwell amongst the street art. So, yes, Adriana. How's Sunshine West treating you at the moment, mate? Uh, look, Sunshine West is glorious at the moment. After the announcement that the Victorian government are going to run a train through the station uh, very soon, we anticipate a, a huge spike in jobs for the particular area. And no doubt uh, the tracks that they're going to be laying won't be just the ones that, that, that involve illicit substances. They'll be ones that involve, you know, the gloriousness of, of transport from all around the world, people coming and seeing this, this glorious part of, of Melbourne. Um, you know, your, 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 your Fitzroy experience, Phil, have you, have you got your, your bicycle ready with the basket at the front there? Which one? You mean my weekday, my my weekday fixie, or my weekend fixie? You know, you, you can't just have one. I love that. That's glorious. Anyway, let's get into this conversation. This particular series was another one, Phil, that we we both left our experiences with each of these ten game changes feeling very inspired. We actually commenced series four with the provocation around the question can we really do cathedral thinking for a future fit education? And as we kind of focus the overall thing around the notion of are you thriving in this world? After our encounter with these inspiring series four game changer guests, it is clear to us that cathedral thinking is remarkably relevant for today's educational context. And that cathedral thinking can and should be used by learning communities as a tool for imagining and planning for a future, infusing long-term flexibility, strength and purpose into schools learning architecture, and helping each young person in their care to find meaning, movement, and motivation individually, and of course, together through the contemplation of something beyond ourselves. And now series four guests could just be the right mix of educational and industry thinkers and pioneers to further this educational spring moment that you mentioned a moment ago that we currently find ourselves in today. Cathedral thinking involves taking a leap and imagining the bigger picture. And just like our series four guests who realize that while they may not seem that they're they're only a small part in all of this, like all of us, we do play an important role in how the bigger picture will eventually emerge. And it means realising that our decisions today will lead to consequences in the future that we may or may not live to see, but others will, and especially our COVID children. Our Series 4 guests highlighted an important construct by them. They illustrated to us all that love is indeed a verb, the most profound action word operating intentionally from the construct of love should be the ultimate horizon for schools and society for that matter leveraging our collective ability to ensure that each individual, irrespective of race, ethnicity, age, religion, ability, identity, gender, or sexual orientation, is on a quest to feel known, to feel valued, and to feel loved. This type of cathedral thinking is the enlightenment of our need for a new social contract, one that reimagines schooling and society, one that is deeply human-centered, highly equitable and inclusive, technology-enriched, place and planet-conscious, and intentionally purpose-driven. 
Oh, you know, I love that notion of that social contract, Adriana. You know that notion of the way in which I am because you give. It's it's almost that it's that extension of Ubuntu. I am because you are. I am because you give. That that notion of the the kindnesses that we exchange for each other and the way in which we provide for each other and it's to sit at the heart of education. As ever, eloquent on that notion of cathedral thinking and inspiring Adriana, I want it, if I can, to boil it down to the notion of stepping forward and looking up at the same time and trying not to trip over, obviously. But, you know, it's the big step forward and up and looking up to apprehend what's around you. What are the steps that we need to take forward around that? I, I, I cast my mind back to earlier this year when we when we went out and we we talked with folk all around the world um, right at the start of the pandemic about what continuous learning might look like, because I think the big step forward and up is continuous learning. I think it's that notion that we respond to a social contract that requires us to contemplate the whole of the person and the whole of learning and the love that we put into it. You know, as Khalil Gibran says, you know, work is love made visible. What is our work therefore? And if I look at the continuous learning toolkit, humor me for a moment, my friend, change the game, learn continuously, learn well, ask the right questions, map the journey ahead, equip yourself, empower learners, design solutions, learn together and partner with families. There's nothing earth shattering there other mm -hmm. than the notion that the purpose of education becomes about the growth of the whole person rather than the doing of things to perpetuate the doing of the next things and the, and the doing of more things after that. It's, it's about how do we get off this hamster wheel of endless decontextualized assessment and accreditation and instead think about the journey of a person over their lifetime, the love that needs to sustain them and the competencies to live, to learn, to lead and to work that are going to prepare them to thrive in their world as good people, as future builders, as continuous learners and unlearners, as solution architects, as responsible people, and of course, as team creators. I think that what we've seen in this series, Adriano, are a group of people who show us the way forward in different ways. They are living this life of what you sometimes call as the enterprise skills. And, you know, we could think about enterprise skills within the notion of entrepreneurship, and that's pretty good. But I actually rather like the notion of the Starship Enterprise about boldly going forth where no one has dared to go beforehand. You know, that's the adventure that we need to be thinking about. And that's the adventure that our game changers are taking us on already. Why don't we, why don't we reflect on what we've learned from our game changers so far? Let's start with, with episode one, because I think what you just shared there around this, this quest for a kind of true north fits beautifully with our conversation with Cameron Fox from uh, the Verso International School in Thailand, where he's the head of. You know, it, it, what, what, what I learned is that schools are not designed to be ambiguous. What we currently sell is stability, heritage and tradition, with everything being clearly kind of mapped out. Now, what was clear in our conversation with Cameron is this is now out of sync to the reality of our new VUCA world around us. And the question that we should be asking ourselves is, are we preparing young people for this world that they are entering? And I would answer the, the no. Nonetheless, there is a growing body of schools challenging the status quo with Verso being one of them. And what Cameron illustrated that our lives have increasingly become highly customized and that schools have a responsibility moved to a dynamic experience for young people, a learning journey that is intentionally personalised and that the whole idea of standardisation, 
that everything is the same and measurable doesn't fit anymore for a new world environment context. And that the traditional school model is very fragile and we would say even broken and requires an urgent rethink via an ambitious model that steps away from the safe zone. At the same time, what Cameron showed us is that taking that big step forward and up in constructing a school and in the life of a school, it doesn't have to be uh, uh, grounded in, in misery and gloom and disaster and, and catastrophic thinking. And, you know, we've seen enough of that um, from folk this year. And we know that people around the world aren't inspired by that. Students aren't inspired by that. Families aren't inspired by that. Instead, what we see is that if we bring a community together with a clear idea of what its purpose is, start with a concept and then progressively whittle away at the work that needs to be done. It's, 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 that, it's that thing of, you know, imagine the cathedral and then work our way incrementally towards what that will be. You know, we don't, we don't have to change the world overnight, but we do need to imagine that where we will be then is quite different from where we are now. And yet at the same time, there's a continuity between human nature and the future. So it's not as though it's, not as though it, it's all about the future. It's that we lean into tomorrow and at the same time we honour yesterday and we attend to the needs of today. So there's balance, there's perspective, there's all sorts of things there. Do you know, I think, I think when, when, we, when, we, when we talked to Yasmin in episode two, didn't she give us the perfect case study from the student's perspective of the type mm -hmm. of school that Cameron and the Verso mob are, are trying to create? Well, you know, you just spoke there about crafting a future. I mean, Yasmin represents that in so many ways. You know, Yasmin for me was, was an absolute breath of fresh air, a dynamic young woman who passionately advocated for youth and the importance of why all representation matters. She amplified for us all why being seen, heard and valued are important constructs for authentic belonging in and outside of a school environment. You know, Yasmin represents the hope of our collective future and a powerful definition of a good person, encouraging us all to embrace the true meaning of community, where we should develop schools that are outward in their thinking and open to building local, regional and global partnerships that expose us to new horizons and opportunities to, to kind of create more of those organic aha moments for all individuals. Moments in learning that inform and form self, that speak to the profoundness of place and the inherent possibility of the other. And what Yasmin really did is that she placed all of our inherent humanity at the centre. Our whole hearts were first. So, you know, I, I, I want you to humour me for a moment, Adriana, because I'm going to do that thing that a person with a PhD should never do, and that is talk about their PhD. Because let's face it, only three people read it, and, and that's only two out of the three markers because one of them pretends to have read it when it's, in fact, way too boring. You know that my PhD is around the notion of Australian identity, and I looked at, in particular, at the formation of an identity that was crafted in a time in which hierarchy, order, discipline, and obedience were essential. It's the era of the First and Second World Wars in which nations were mobilised ostensibly against forces of evil that were emanating around the world and that required a significant commitment and an education, therefore, built around compliance, built around fitting the mould. The image of being an Australian, the identity of being an Australian at that time, it's simply not what our world needs now. That doesn't mean that what we had beforehand was unsuitable and it should be dishonoured and forgotten and, and disrespected. You know, that, that, that image of being an Australian at that point in time, it met the needs of the time. And yet it was not an inclusive definition. It was not the type of definition that your family and my family really felt 
that included when we came to this country, let alone the Asmund's family explaining, you know, the, the things that were going on in that background. You know, the past is another country and our country mm. is headed towards the future. Our world is headed towards the future and we need to listen to the voices. We need to respect the agency. We need to encourage the advocacy of students who are able to thrive in a, a completely different world environment. And that's why we talk about, you know, continuous learning in search of what, you know, but so many thinkers, you know, especially, we, you know, you, you, you and I have just been talking off air about, you know, Alan Shaw and Nikki Kirkup and the Knox School and the way in which mm -hmm. they're pursuing personalised learning. It's not about compliance. It's about equipping, empowering and enabling individuals to thrive in their world and to do so by understanding that they must go beyond themselves. And, and Yasmin, what, what an exemplar of that. You know, uh, I love what you're sharing there about the past is a country and, and that we're, we're building a future. And that leads to our third episode. Our third episode, the theme was around future builders. And we know that future builders want to be kind of leaders of the future, inspired by authenticity. And, that, and they have this kind of um, reflectiveness and sensitivity and strength to manage complexity by honouring the legacy of yesterday, attending to the needs of today, and of course, looking forward to what tomorrow will require of us. Individuals who have a great capacity to kind of get up onto the balcony and have that broader view than their current horizon. And Christine Kaur is one such person, an individual deeply committed to not only her personal growth, but through her coaching platform, helping others unlock their capacity to become future builders who remain curious about self, about place, about the other, and of course, ultimately about what's possible in, the, in this world that is forever changing. Yeah, and, you know, the thing I really like about it, you know, if we talk about the notion of future builders and we start rabbiting on with some of our highfalutin language and so on, there might be some of our listeners out there, there might be a whole bunch of educators out there and say, who are these people? Who are these people carrying on like galahs like that? Can I say this, Christine Kaur, she's just a no bullshit person. She really yeah. is straightforward, very grounded, very practical, passionate about what she does. And she's very, very good at it too, both in the business and, and in the context of driving her business forward. She exemplifies all sorts of approaches that we need to be thinking about in education, where we, where we maintain a noble purpose, but we're grounded in the way in which we pursue it and deeply compassionate um, without being soppy. You know, we need commitment and we need work to be going on. One of, the things I, one of the things I really enjoy about the way in which our conversation has developed this year, Adriana, is the way in which you consistently bring me back to this notion of education as being a profoundly human-centred activity. Purpose-driven, you know, that's my thing. And for both of us, technology-enriched, uh, that's, mm -hmm. that's very important. But it's this, it's this notion of human-centred. To be human-centred, you need to be intentional about people. And about their growth, and 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 you know, it's it's not some sort of soft, wishy-washy, peace, love, and mung beans sort of thing. This is a person. Christine is a person who cares deeply about improving the competencies of everybody who comes within her purview. And you know, it's I, I love that strength of character, and I love that commitment, and I love the way in which she looks forward to the future and wants to bring people with her. You know, um, I love I love what you just shared there because it leads beautifully into our episode four with with young Josh Farr. You know, I, I've always believed standing still is tantamount to stealing one's true possibility, and that movement has enormous power. And when I think of Josh, I think of movement and a notion of bountiful discovery. 
you know, this effervescent young man that remains deeply curious and highly reflective with a limitless optimism in self with place and for the others. And he's the perfect example of a continuous learner and unlearner inquisitive individual, constantly seeking new shores, discovering new opportunities and cultivating social change. He's also human-centred and, and people-focused, an individual who always is prepared to play in the profound pocket of wonder and awe. Josh, for, my, for mine, represents all that is hope-filled and optimistic about the vibrancy of youth. Bountiful and bountiful as well too. I mean, everything yes. about him is just energy, isn't it, Adriana? And yeah. it's one yeah. of the things that I, I, I love about him is his generosity of spirit because, you know, it's, there are models of learning out there which, which are about the acquisition of knowledge for selfish purposes, for vanity, for ego. You know, I, can I, again, can I, can I be bold and say that a lot of my colleagues in academic circles, it's all about them and about their idea and about the papers they publish and about the credit they get and the kudos they get. Josh is the exact opposite. He is a, a 21st century learner in that for him, it's all about giving. Everything he does is about giving away whatever knowledge he's obtained. And he might, he might only have had that knowledge for two minutes already, but he's already trying to think about whose life can benefit from that particular knowledge. And, you know, it's, I think as we start to see young people like that move forward into the broader world of academia, we're going to have to rethink the way in which our academics work. I mean, our work with Leanne Wilson, our partner in Indigenous education and in healing and in community education and culture, she's absolutely adamant about the notion that this sort of Western academic tradition that we inhabit, that there's so much in First Nations academic and scientific systems that are 65,000 years plus old in our country and older in other countries, you know, that there's a continuing body of knowledge about how to do what it is that we do, but it has to be grounded in community. It has to be grounded in that notion of selflessness. It has to be grounded in that notion of the other, as you would say all the time, mm -hmm. Adriana, but also of the others, that your purpose in life is it's not about yourself, it's about what you give and what you can add to the lives of others. We now move to episode five with uh, Ewan McIntosh. And, and you, Ewan reminded me of the, of the deep wisdom of design thinking and, and the capacity of such a, a learning protocol to encourage students to focus on the people they're creating for, leading to a human-centered outcome, to products, to services, and even intentional processes. In a classroom, and, and a school learning context, design thinking draws upon active listening and empathy. It draws upon logic, imagination, and intuition, and systematic reasoning and reflection. And it tests solutions to explore possibilities through iteration after iteration and iteration of what could be. Basically, it provides students a framework to animate real world projects, making meaningful contributions to their own growth and to those that they serve. And it recognizes that the true learning growth and achievement is a process of discovery and self-actualization, not a curriculum product to be consumed or regurgitated on a test or, or a busy task. And what Ewan amplified for all of us is the responsibility of, of us as educators to support young people to become these solution architects and to become authors then ultimately of their own story. Yeah, you loved this conversation, didn't you, mate? Absolutely. And, 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 you know, it was the meeting of minds and, and Ewan's material is so accessible. Uh, and, and the work that he does with Notosh, 
uh, across the world, not only in schools, but in, in, the, in the private sector, has really helped illustrate to leaders across the board the importance that learning is a process. It is not a product. And the magic happens in that discovery. Why do you think so many leaders across the world are frightened of observations like that? Why do you think they're, why do you think they're scared of stepping into that territory of doing things differently, of moving away from the known? I think that's a really important question and, and, and not an easy one necessarily to answer because, you know, people come to where they're at in different contexts. So I don't want to kind of judge them too much about why they act the way they do. But if I was to talk in general terms in my experience with, with many educational leaders who are actually profound and are open to allowing people to step into that space of permission and, and discovery, they seem to be the exception. And the only thing I can seem to put it down to is that the ones that choose not to go down that path, either it's not conscious for them or they're continually operating from the construct of deep fear, fear of either being found out because so much about what I'm, about design thinking, for instance, is that it is, it is highly structured. There is a structure to it and a framework to it. However, what happens in between is ambiguous. And so much of the way we're hardwired in schools in particular and leaders in schools is around control and compliance and stability and safety. I would argue that you can have all of those things in a construct of design thinking, but it still should allow you the opportunity for horizon thoughts and, you know, that blue sky thinking, that cathedral thinking to go along with it, where you can add that into your practice on a regular basis. But they've, they've been paralysed for far too long around issues of compliance and control and risk aversion. And I just don't, I think they're countercultural to who we are in, instinctively as humans. We're, we're creatures of great endeavour, of great curiosity. Uh, we've evolved as a species. I mean, God, we put a person on the moon, you know, we've cured diseases from across the world because of our creativity and our want to be better than we were yesterday. So there are people across this globe who, who never stand still, who are true game changers, but I kind of feel that they're the exception. Maybe what we're looking at is with, as you said, human beings who are wrestling with that very natural and normal desire to want to control their circumstances. And maybe instead they need to be thinking more, emphasising more that notion of their purpose in their lives. And, you know, when I look at episode six, Michael Lim, there's a person who's purpose-driven. As my grandmother would have said, there's a mensch. You know, there's a real, there's a real serious man there, you know, scholarly, erudite, deeply committed to his, to his community and the furtherance of the interests of his community, a very skillful educator and a thoroughly decent human being who is just, is, uh, is just such a curious person, you know, and, and just interested in things. You know, Michael, for me, is the profound example of what it means to be a, a responsible citizen and why being on this planet in so many ways is a true gift. He's a young man that is deeply committed to his local community working collaboratively with others to assist them in transforming their circumstances from surviving to thriving. He highlighted the difference between social capital and bridging capital and his commitment to fostering health literacies and the profoundness of his work with YLAB by placing young people at the centre of creating solutions for themselves and their local community context. He illustrated our responsibility beyond ourselves to the other and to the places and communities we find ourselves as part of 
emphasizing that our collective responsibility to see all people prosper with each individual becoming active contributors to the formation of an inclusive and just community. Yeah, and what I really, really enjoyed about Michael's approach is that he doesn't do it from a position of deficit thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's, if, there are lots of things that we've learned about our world this year. One thing that's absolutely front and centre for me is that if we want to end the polarisation of thinking in our world at either end, we have to stop approaching our situation from a position that is negative. We can't sit there and seek to tear down other people and identify them as the enemy, identify them as the people to blame, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not pointing left, I'm not pointing right, I'm pointing everywhere around Mm -hmm. that at the moment because I think that human beings have a remarkable capacity to tear each other down. They also have a capacity to build each other up. And the only way we can do that is by expressing a sense of optimism and a sense of positivity. I really love the way in which Michael, you know, from his own background, um, you know, a bit of a lad when he was young, identifies his sense of purpose and he keeps moving forward by seeing possibility, by seeing opportunity and wanting to unite people around something that is constructive rather than to turn around and say, well, you lot have, we don't have, so therefore we're going to take from you and it's your turn now. Because that sort of that sort of discourse, it just doesn't work with people. But he does it in, in such a way where, as I said a moment ago, it's about empowering young people with the necessary tools and resourcing That's them accordingly right. for them to take ownership of coming out of their situation. You know, he, he doesn't he doesn't want to perpetuate welfare states. You know, he, what he wants to do is highlight the challenges in the area. But then he wants exactly what you said doesn't operate from that deficit. He wants to launch up from that. And he believes inherently in the goodness of each individual to be able to transform their own lives, providing they're equipped with the necessary tools to see that possibility. Talking about seeing possibility, let's move to episode seven. Oh, with, my goodness. Zena, Zena, warrior woman. Warrior woman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she's heard that a thousand oh, times. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Zena you know, reminded us all the value of being a true uh, team creator. You know, individuals that don't just listen to respond, they listen to understand. Sometimes what that means is that you have to park the ego at the door, be totally open to the possibility of the other. And, and, and the moment we do that, we enter into this kind of very intentional space of respect, of kindness, and deep appreciation for the other. We then move away from the things that separate us or divide us, and our diversity is what we then celebrate. Ultimately, it's from a mix of representation across a broad spectrum of gender, of orientation, ability, race, religion, and culture that we can grow and that we can learn. And Zena illustrated that we exist because of each other, not in spite of one another. Absolutely. And at the same time, my goodness, does she want to drive the future forward? Absolutely. And do it in such an empowering fashion and in a way that draws people together. I've long thought that the difference between systems in the modern world, in the modern educational world, and systems in our contemporary world sit around their notion of purpose. If you look at so many of the systems and structures we have in schools, they're designed to separate and control people and they prevent people from coming together. You know, As you know, Adriano, the hardest thing in a school is to get everybody in the same place at the same time for the same period of time. It's almost impossible to do that because we're conditioned by the system of school to, to think that 
any attempt to bring us together is an opportunity to claim autonomy and to find a reason not to do that. And yet Zena is just masterful at the way in which she does. Look at the way in which, you know, she's inspired and, and driven forward the whole Aussie Ed chat thing that I know that you're very prominent in as well too. You know, Sunday night on on in the Twitterverse in that strange land that I'm still not really understanding, but I do trust you that there is a benefit in it after all. What I really like about Zena is the way in which she's able to help people to construct solutions that are focused on the outcomes that they want for their children rather than just a fascination with a particular bit of technology or an application or so on. Because, you know, apps come and go, but people are there. And we need to be flexible. We need to be adaptable. Uh, we need our expertise to grow. We need people like Zena to help us grow our expertise. That moves us to our, our final kind of episode in the proper season before we get to our special series guests. And of course, it's with the remarkable Eddie Wu. You know, when, when I think of Eddie Wu, I think of Wesley Stanford's glorious quote, every child you encounter is a divine appointment. Wesley is the former president and CEO of Compassion International and advocate for children. So the parallels continue as Eddie is an educator, a father, a husband, a son, a brother, and a man of deep and unwavering compassion for the other. He also reminds, uh, remains one of Australia's greatest advocates for young people, developing authentic learning and wellness opportunities that meets each student where they're at, respecting their uniqueness, through supporting them to unlock their inherent possibility. You know, Eddie is selfless and every encounter with a man leaves you feeling very self-full. A remarkable human that is the true definition of generosity and hope. Eddie definitely knows that love is a verb. Absolutely. My goodness, can he teach as well too? Absolutely. You know, so... He's so got serious chops in that area. He does indeed. He does indeed. It makes you want to go back and, and learn mathematics all over again. He's good, Phil. Know, I don't know if he's that good. <laughs> <laughs> I look I, I I think the thing I really like about Eddie is that he he really has a worldview that he has synthesized all of his being all of his knowing all of his doing and all of his habits into now he's not perfect none of us are perfect no that's that's it's not it's not for us mere mortals to imagine that we can ever be that way but if you if, if you ever needed a living example of deliberate intentional, targeted and aligned humanity in a classroom or in a learning space or online present in, in you know, and continuous learning. It's Eddie Wu, isn't it? And really lovely bloke too, isn't it? Just really mm -hmm. nice guy. I, think, I just think, I just, you know, our, our whole theme this series was about are you thriving in, in your world? And every encounter with this man is, is, you can't help but think that he is always thriving because, you know, he doesn't operate from deficits. He looks at the possibility of everyone. And, and um, so much probably, no doubt, his, his faith formation has, has given him the gift of believing in the uniqueness of each individual being, you know, and, and their inherent worth. And, and I love that. I, I now want to move, though, to our special series, Phil. And this, this is a special series that, that I enjoy being a spectator in because it is something that we have cultivated uh, from the very beginning of, of our Game Changers journey, where individuals get to sit down in conversation with Dr. Philip S.A. Cummings. And I love that. I love that because uh, it, it exposes our audience, not only to our guests, but it, it, it enlightens them more and more about your humanity and your generosity as, as an educator, as a father, and, and, and as a friend. 
Oh, you gosh. Know, what, what, oh, what, gosh. And I'm saying all these things because um, I'm not fishing for anything in, in return here, Phil, but I, I always appreciate the way in which you attend deeply to your guests and that you listen intentionally to, to their story to understand their spaces in between. You know, with Dr. Haley Watson and Benson Salo, what I learnt in a profound way in your encounter with both of them across the six parts of the series is that everything starts with this deep sense of belonging. That once young people feel that they are seen, heard and valued, only then can they enter into this space of their agency, leveraging their voice to ultimately become authors of their own story. And the profoundness of each individual story is born from, a, from the deep insights that they realise from sitting in the murkiness of it all. You know, that kind of space in between, the places and the moments of real struggle, but also real enlightenment. And finally, what I took away from your, your conversation with, with, with Haley and Benson was for us as a learning community to evolve and to move beyond the boundaries of the school fence. We need to know that the real and meaningful social cha change happens at the speed of trust, where we embrace the courage of whole hearts and the intentional practice of love as a verb. I'm don't really know what to say, actually. Um, gosh, gosh. Um, I'm really, really appreciative of the opportunity that I get with this series. And, 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 and you know, thank you for letting me do that. Um, I hadn't, you know, when we started doing these things, I hadn't really imagined doing that. And you sort of encouraged me and pushed me towards doing that. And I just love learning from people like Haley and Benson. I really, really do. Um, uh, I think it's going to be about them in the conversation, but then we just start digging in and around things and you just get this broader view of the world and the understanding around it. And I really loved the way in which the conversation about Haley became an opportunity to understand a little bit about what's going on in our world today, particularly with the notion of trauma, with the notion of intergenerational trauma, with the notion of trying to understand and unlock the pain in people's lives to help them move forward in, in a particular way. You know, again, I, I referenced Leanne earlier, you know, Leanne's so profound in this area of healing as well too. And, and I think all human beings have got that in their lives which causes them pain. It's, it's part of who we are. You, you talk about the murkiness earlier. Um, you know I love that the the you know the, the notion of the wrestling. It's in it's in the wrestling, and you know I, I love that story from the book of Genesis about Jacob wrestling with. It could be the angel, it could be a man, it could be God. It's we we, we don't know who it is, and the story ends in pain. You know you wrestle all day and you wrestle all night, having had a hard time, and it doesn't end in a happy ending. You know it's it it ends with Jacob having his hip dislocated and a reminder that life is difficult. You know, and and life is tough. You don't need some history teacher telling you that this year, do you, folks? <laughs> it's been a, it's been a really really hard year, and yet that's the, the the way in which we can work our way through that towards the hope of something better is you know, and I think learning from Haley about contemporary understandings of what we can do and how we can do that from a clinical perspective, from a research perspective, from a human perspective, all of those things are important. Uh, we imagine we have a handle on things and then we talk with people who really know and then we have to be prepared you know to unlearn that which we learn in one of the areas that Haley talked about in particular in and around bullying our understanding of bullying has changed so much in the time mm -hmm. that I've been an educator and you know it's it unless you can put away the things that are no longer relevant in the base um, you know in the face of what we now know 
how can you how can you do what it is that you intend to do in and around that? You know, if I, if Benson, my goodness, my goodness, mm-hmm. what a, what a guy Benson is. Um, uh, a deeply, deeply considered human being who's got a very interesting story to tell, and such a strong sense of what he has been put on this earth to do and the way in which he needs to honour that in all parts of what it is that he does. So if you put both Haley and, and Benson together, you've got this incredible picture of how you can thrive and at the same time you can help other people thrive in what you do. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I love the idea in Benson's story in particular, the way in which he wrestles with both being a radical and a representative, mm-hmm. um, just such a, you know, you, you talk a lot about the importance of, you know, of advocacy. You know, I, I, I love that the, the voice and agency thing, and you always add in the advocacy piece, there's an advocate. There's somebody who's coming from a deep understanding of his own situation, of the situation of people around him, and recognising that not only can he combine all of the graduate outcomes in that we talk about of thriving in one lifetime, that at different stages in his life, he can both be a critic and also be a representative at the same time. He's not one of those people who polarises the world or takes advantage of polarisation for their own benefit. He's always looking to that notion of how he can bring honour to his family, his community, his country, and the world at large. Yeah, what what what, what an absolute joy talking with Benson. You know, Hayley, Hayley I, I, I talked with Hayley, the three episodes we recorded over a beautiful, sparkling Saturday morning. And, and, and she was in Long Beach in California and we got to know each other over that period of time. Benson, that was a late night conversation. And, you know, he was deep in, in, uh, in lockdown in St Kilda at that point in time. And the night was very dark outside. Both of them shone a light for me. And what a privilege. Thank you, thank you, for, thank you for encouraging me and allowing me to um, share time with such wonderful people. Yeah, I think the long play of, of the Game Changers uh, series when you get to sit down and, and, and really get to the heart and the core of the individual is something that's really special and unique and that we should always savour. And, and, and I, know, I know that our guests, uh, our listeners, I should say, really value what you do in that space with our guests because uh, the numbers in terms of listens are quite high in that particular series. I want to kind of wrap this conversation up now, Phil, um, and, and I want to finish by saying a, a couple of things. We, we as educators, we may not be able to see the future in its entirety. Nonetheless, we have a responsibility to help them, the young people in our care, our COVID children, to make something of it, their future, for themselves, all places across the globe and for the people around them. For the COVID children and for those that follow, you know, you know, and I've always said this, we now need a new social contract. It is time for us to create a better normal learning ecosystem where we acknowledge that time is now fluid. Calling for the realisation of a personalised model that embraces the notion of any time, anywhere, by anyone, on campus, online, in context or in country, and incorporates the three principles of wellness by design and leverages the power of community locally, regionally and globally. It is time to choose to allow our students to go on a personal journey of discovery that will give them the character and the competency and the wellness to be a generation of healthier, happier, and more confident young people who can truly thrive in a new world of their tomorrow. I want to say to Cameron, Yasmin, Christine, Josh, Ewan, Michael, Zena, Eddie, Haley, and Benson, a huge thank you for sharing your story and your passion. 
And thank you for reminding us all that each person in our learning communities is ultimately, what is it, Phil? Home to a life. Home to a life, and mate. It is, home to a life, it, yes. And it is as simple and as complex as that. And what they also illustrated that born from this notion of home to a life is the deep construct of love, of self, of place, and the other. For our listeners out there, uh, from me, and I'm going to hand over to Phil in a moment, I just want to say uh, I wish you all the very best during the festive season. For those who, who are celebrating uh, Christmas, uh, I hope everyone is safe and happy as we enter into a new year, a new year with much hope and optimism. And, and I finally want to say thank you to our listeners. Uh, we hit a remarkable milestone only recently with 50,000 listeners. Uh, Phil and I continue to be uh, chuffed by, by your constant tuning in. And that's what we really require here. We want the whole world to tune in, not to us, but to the possibility of a learning ecosystem that's going to lift young people up and lift them forward in a world that is forever changing. Phil. I want to say thank you to all of our team who've worked so hard to support what we do. I want to say thank you to Kyle and to Oliver and to Lachlan, um, to Sam earlier in the year, to Alex, um, to Matthew. I want to say thank you to Leanne and Mal, to Mark, to Henry, to all of our family and all of our colleagues at wonderful schools and in wonderful places all over the world who keep encouraging us to do this thing. You know, we sat down at the beginning of the year and we thought about the way in which we might extend a conversation and it's just kind of done a thing, you know. I particularly mm. want to pay uh, homage to my longtime collaborator, Brad Adams, who is just a remarkable, remarkable educator who has such a deep and sincere understanding of education. He's been behind the scenes, um, stirring and agitating and smoothing and calming in lots and lots of different ways. Um, and, uh, you know, he's been, he's been a, a wonderful source of support to me and to so many others around the world. Uh, mate, I just want to say thank you to you. What a year. It's just, it's just, I love learning with you. I really, really do. I love the opportunity that we have to learn together. Um, and, and, you know, I'm really excited about 2021. I can't wait. So let's go. Let's go. The Game Changers podcast is produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions. It's powered by a schoolfortomorrow.com and circle.education. It's available on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, on Spotify, and on Google. If you like what you hear, tell your friends, subscribe, like, you know what to do. Let's go.